0: You are now listening to the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast, where the worlds of sports medicine and performance collide. My name is Mike Quintins. I'm a physical therapist with an entrepreneurial mindset that specializes in treating orthopedic and sports injuries. I'm bringing on the brightest and sharpest in the field of sports medicine to share their best practices and explore the gap where medicine meets performance. What's up, Performance Therapy Nation? This is Mike Quintins, your host of the Cue Performance Therapy Podcast. Today, we're going to dive into part two, where we are joined by Dr. Ken Kearns, a board-certified, fellowship-trained shoulder and elbow orthopedic surgeon who specializes in arthroscopic surgical procedures, joint replacements, minimally invasive procedures, as well as upper extremity fracture care and clavicle to the elbow. Today, we're going to be discussing more surgical techniques that he performs from the shoulder instability, AC joint. We dive into different techniques there, as well as the upper extremity bike and uh, a question that Dr. Kearns has for me. Stay tuned. Thanks, guys. Before uh, we we got on air, we spoke about some new research that's out about uh, shoulder instability. So I would love to hear about, you know, what, what your take is on the, what is the literature saying now? And what is your take on it, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, yeah.
1: so there's a little bit of a shift. So there's some literature, again, that you kind of go, it goes a little bit black and white. It's not taking the patient as a person, but it's kind of stating that there's some literature, it goes like it's cost-benefit analysis and stating that. So historically speaking, you used to say like, all right, you know, after your third dislocation, you call it like a third-time loser. All right, you should have surgery now. You failed conservative management. It's You have recurrent instability, let's fix it. Now, that, what that doesn't take account into is that every time you dislocate your shoulder, there's a variety of things. One, it hurts. You know, you got the expense of going to the emergency room and have it put back in place. You have the actual trauma of what's inside the joint. Every time you dislocate your shoulder, you're causing more pain or more damage to the joint. And then you're out again. So, if you know, if, it's, if a kid who's playing high school football who dislocates his shoulder and he misses half that season... And then he dislocates it again. And he misses, well, the rest of that season. I was like, all right, well, that's two dislocations. Let's, we'll rehab him. And then he comes back the next year, and he dislocates again. He's now missed kind of two seasons. So if you really think about it that way, I'm like, all right, so the cost-benefit analysis, like, well, pretty costly to not have your shoulder fixed. So what they looked at, they said any teenager who plays a contact sport should have it fixed after first-time
0: dislocation, and if they intend on continuing to play that contact sport, Correct. or even if they don't, intend no, to if play, they, it, they, they intend, yeah, okay.
1: I mean, because the odds are, the odds because what studies show is like if you don't fix that kid, he or she is doing something that puts him in that position to contact sport. So the odds are it's going to come out again, and so that's interesting,
0: and i mean, and it makes it we see it all the time that where they didn't undergo procedure. Usually, that's you know the, like a three-time loser, so to speak, but. Why is it because the capsule's lax and that's not something we can we can? Well, you know, I always tell people we, we can repair, right? You know,
1: without getting too much into like the <laughs> <laughs> getting lost in the in, in, in the weeds. But I tell patients there are two things that keep your shoulder stable. You have your basic anatomy, your static stabilizers, and you have your dynamic stabilizers, your muscles. So once you damage the shoulder, dislocate it, you've torn those static stabilizers. Those are not fixable. They do not heal themselves. So people always ask, nothing in your shoulder heals without surgery it just doesn't it scars in but it never will go back to where it was So when you tear your labrum, it's not really the labrum that you worry about. Now The labrum is a little bit of a a buffer or this kind of like, you know, uh,
0: a cushion of the shoulder. I call it the washer, like, you know, between a nail and wherever you're putting it. Like, it's the washer. It's got it, you know. I could use that. Maybe maybe. I'll steal that. (laughs) But it's it's the ligament that attaches
1: to the labrum is what gives your shoulder instability. I always tell people it's like a hammock effect. And so what happens is you lost half your hammock. And so when your arm's up, you fall out the front of the hammock again. But once you, have, once you tear that, it never goes back to the tension that your body was designed to have without surgery. Right. So you can't change that. But what you can do is you can change the dynamic stabilizer of the muscles. And that's why I tell people therapy can be helpful. So there are plenty of patients. Uh, I had a 21-year-old kid today who had recurrent instability, never had treatment. Um, and they were definitely on the side and I could read him pretty quickly that of like the non-surgical side, which I told them was fine. Cause I gave him the, the talk I just talked about, like the pros and cons, the risk analysis and the odds are he should, you know, the literature suggested you have surgery, but just because that's what the literature states, you still have to treat the individual. Well said. And so they like, you know, they understood, but they like, we would like to try therapy. Now we're also stating, I don't know how, you, what you feeling is, is I tell people all the time, like, look, you don't have to do four to six months of therapy, do it for four to six weeks. You're going to know either a, you know what, I'm feeling better, and then we can continue down that path, or B, I don't feel a difference. And I feel I say, look, if you're feeling better, then we stick with therapy. If you have no difference in six weeks, the odds of six more weeks or three more months of therapy probably isn't going to help.
0: Well said. No, I agree. It, it, to me, you should be in therapy for the time it takes to observe a minimal detectable change, right? If you only say for a week, I mean, that's yeah, not, it's not, not gonna yeah, see, yeah. right. But if you, if six weeks leads to it, you know, was enough time to – typically you see it like a minimal something detectable right. change, some change then right. at least stick through that process yeah. and see if this is going well for you unless it's something that's out of anyone's control that yeah. you just don't like about the place Yeah, but this, this kid came back today and he was he was like i feel
1: amazing i haven't felt this good in three years and i was doing things i haven't done i was like awesome i said as long as you stick with the program that the therapist taught you you'll be fine because again those are you you need to keep those dynamic stabilizers in in check and if you don't then you might be here with the dislocation.
0: Right, interesting. So when you go in for a, a repair of, of some kind, what exactly are you fixing, right? If you so, like, so what you're doing, like a hammock, are you fixing one of the pieces of the hammock? Like right, so,
1: so again, the ligament, so it's the anterior inferior ligament is what attaches to the labrum. So what you're doing is you are, we have to, usually it falls down, and so you have to lift it up. So you have to lift it up, and you want to see the normal tension on the ligament. So that's what you're doing. You're really pulling up that labrum and you're using anchors, and there's a variety. There's different types of anchors you can use. There's different types of techniques. But the bottom line is, you want the labrum. You want normal tension on that ligament, because that's what's going to keep the shoulder stable. If you just put the labrum where it's at, and you don't get the normal tension on on the ligament, then it's all for now. How
0: do you determine what normal tension is what, when you're when you're in
1: the? I think it's one of the things with experience. You got to yeah. know it. Just ha- it has to look normal for you. The first part of any shoulder arthroscopy is a diagnostic scope, and so every scope I. Every shoulder scope I do, I do, I do a diagnostic arthroscopy. And so I think you, it's one of those things where you do enough,
0: you see enough. It's kind of you know what it A looks feel like. almost. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the same thing goes in PT. You know, when you're, if you're mobilizing someone's neck or their back, and you're like, yeah, no, it's a it's a feel. I can't tell you what that. Yeah, it's feel. hard it's to explain. a degree of stiffness. 100%. You know, so all right, so that, that, that makes sense. Because I've always wondered, like, how do you measure – like, ACLs are doing that now, too. Like, they're measuring uh, the amount of tension on the graft or whatever they're using uh, as, as the li- the ligament, you know, reconstruction, you know, what is normal, right? Like, is, do you want it to be symmetrical? Do you want, you know, is there a certain number you're looking for? So, so more by feel in that case. Yeah. I think it's one of the things you got to know what it feels, but again, I think that you want that quote unquote bumper that people talk about, but that's
1: not what's keeping the shoulder in place. The bumper is obviously helping, but it's, it's really the, it's the, te- it's the ligament. The ligament has to get back to get that hammock-like appearance, or the shoulder's going to fall right back out.
0: What kind, of re- what kind of recovery would you expect, like
1: Baker Mayfield, for example? Yeah, my uh, boy from <laughs> Cleveland. Um, you know, as I had told my dad the other day, cause I told him, I'm like, he's out four to six months, and he sends me an article from the doctor we saw, he said four to six months, I'm like, yeah, I know what I'm talked no. about. <laughs> I know my, my family doesn't think I'm a real doctor. I don't know what to do. I think I am, but no, they don't believe what I say.
0: They'll ask you what your opinion is, and then they won't. They won't I usually
1: to it. I usually say for again. You know, you can. I think we push the envelope sometimes. I don't know if you get kids. Oh, I'm having a mental block right now. Um, uh, who is the, uh, the um the running back with the ACL? Um, oh wait, Adrian Peterson Adrian did Peterson. it in like six months. Yeah, because you yeah. know. Pre Adrian Peterson, you know, it was a year, year and a half. <laughs> right. Adrian Peterson's come back in six months, and all of a sudden, everyone changes their ACL part. Okay, well, okay, well, now it's six to twelve months. Put a pile of
0: sand in the backyard so they can run up the hill. So, yeah. but
1: I think that's kind of what happens. Everything. I mean, rotator cuff repairs used to be everything was like you're twelve to twelve months to a year and a half. Now, I have, most cuff repairs, people say, well, six months. I mean, that's what I tell. I tell them the smaller tears, I say six months. The bigger ones, I'll say you know six months to a year. For labor repairs, I usually tell people, f- I say it's four months for when you can do whatever you want outside of contacts. I usually say no contact sports for six months.
0: Got it. Okay. So how's, how's Baker Mayfield going to be able to play this year?
1: So, again, obviously I haven't seen Baker Mayfield. I haven't seen any of his studies. The good news for him, it's his non-throwing arm. Now, again, from, you're talking to someone who's never played football in his life. So I'm trying to think of, like, I don't think it necessarily affects his throwing I don't think – now, again, I don't know throwing mechanics enough to know what your lead arm does, but I don't think that's really it is. I think it's, you know, him trying to, one, defend himself or being sacked or tackled. I mean, that's obviously where it's going to – and every time – so what I've – the article I read that my dad sent me, I don't remember where it was in, sounds like his shoulders p- came out three times. Yeah. So he's already got – he's already proven he, Whatever factor you want to go by, he's a three-time loser, and he, he clearly needs to have this fixed. The question is, can he get through the year – and it goes back to kind of what I tell kids in the, in the uh, office is, I ask them all the time. I said, what are your aspirations for sports? Whether it's high school and you want to play uh, college or if it's college, you want to play after college. Because if you're going to have surgery, we sort of have to try to figure out around your season, your life. I mean, whether if it's a high school kid who plays two sports, I said, look, is this your number one sport or something else? Because if it's something else, I'm like, all right, well, let's do it now. But if this is your number one sport, then all right, we'll work around the season that's not your number one sport. So I think with Baker Mayfield, it really comes down to the Browns are how far, one, can he play and be effective? And two, how far can they go in the postseason? And if they're like, eh, if the Browns start struggling, then – I guarantee you he's going to have surgery immediately. And, you know, with what's his name, how he looked last week, they might say, well, you know, maybe we'll be well, all so right. Not, right. He didn't look terrible. <laughs> but that, the good thing is his non throwing arm. Um, you can wear some of these harnesses, these sully braces that yep. people wear. But the problem is, I had a guy on my hockey team in college who had, a, he played in a sully brace. His shoulder popped up pretty much every game. No, I, I, can't would love even to imagine I would love that. to see what his x ray looks like, right? Um, I mean, he, yeah, he's going to need a shoulder replacement.
0: Who, 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 who's relocating that? I don't know. <laughs> it pops out so much. He does it himself. Oh, oh God. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. But the problem is, no one likes it. So they loosen it up. To where it's comfortable and then it's no longer effective, well, so the that's point? the problem, yeah. Right, so all these braces they're only as effective as, as if you wear them properly. So,
0: so, I'm curious about AC joint, right? So, the ball and socket, the glenohumeral joint, is a dislocation, right? Correct. So, the AC joint, which many call you know the shoulder, shoulder se- separation, separation, right? Is where you know these two bones, your clavicle and your acromion, come together. The acromion comes from the scapula, yep. and you obviously, you have the clavicle. Now, there are ligaments you know all around it. There's obviously the one ligament that connects, right? It to so, there's it. like it's three ligaments kind of keep it all yeah. together. Yeah, and you have two that come from an inferior angle, a little bit more yeah, so. Yeah, so you have your CC ligaments, your yep. corner
1: and your trapezoid that come from, if you're ever if you're ever pushing on the front of your shoulder and you feel like a bone sticking out, that's your coracoid. Yep. Um, it's right on, right beneath your clavicle. Yep. Um, so those two ligaments come up from there. Then you have your
0: AC ligament that comes across. Okay, so a separation is an a, a eruption of which of those ligaments or all of those ligaments? Well, so if you 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 know if want to go through it, there's six six of them, and so a separation You
1: know, the first one is the AC ligament. You know, it's just a sprain. Right. And it's pretty good. That's a grade one. A grade two is usually that. The AC is completely torn. And then you have partial tearing of your CC ligaments. And then usually you get in a grade three. They're all somewhat torn. And you start maybe involving the the delta trapezius fascia. And then when you get four, you know, in in theory. So a grade three is up to 100% separation. Right. A grade four is where it's posterior. A grade five is is more than 100. percent Usually, people say it's around, you know, it's more than 100, percent but something like 300 percent dislocated, gotcha. and a grade six is the one that people talk about. I don't know if anyone's truly ever seen it, but where the actual clavicle goes underneath the coracoid.
0: Holy smokes!
1: Yeah, I feel like it's, I've never seen one. I feel like people talk about it. That's a lot of force, and that, like yeah. localized force. Yeah, it's got to be happen. inferior, which is a weird kind of way to happen. Yeah, and yeah,
0: and, and not enough to impact the entire shoulder, yeah. only the clavicle. Interesting. I
1: mean, what I'll tell you is. Things constantly change. You know, I always tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, pick a year and things. What I would tell you is one and two never need surgery. Four, five, and six, we always recommend surgery. Grade three is the one that kind of like that people go back and forth with, you know. And I say, look, if, you know, nowadays with Google, everyone's Dr. Google, if you, if you Google ACs, grade three AP, AC separation, or just AC repair in general, you'll probably see ten different ways to do it. And I would say, look, if there's ten different ways to do something, that means that one way doesn't work better than any other anything else. Yeah. So I don't know. I, again, with grade three, I go I go through with people. I usually try to. It depends on the person because everyone's a little bit different. Like, you know, I have a very bony clavicle, so I feel like you can see a lot of stuff. Some people who have kind of like just shoulders are different. You might not see the deformity. So again, some people get it done and they don't want look, they don't like the way it looks. I don't think that's the reason to have surgery, but, you know, some people, again, I understand you don't like the appearance of things, but I would say it's, it's based on your function. And so, I again, the literature kind of goes back and forth on, on grade threes. And I'm,
0: What is a surgical procedure for that? Like what, like what, what would you do in the, you know, in the, in the OR type thing?
1: So the way that I do it, um, there's two main ways to do it. You, you want to stabilize that joint. And so there are various ways to do it. So you can take, some people do it open, some people do it arthroscopic. I do it like I call it an arthroscopic assisted procedure. So when we talk about an arthroscopy, we're talking about, I always tell people, I'm like, look, in arthroscopy, it's literally a camera the size of a pen that has a, a, you know, it's the end of the pen. And so I can see inside the shoulder and that it's usually at like a 30 degree angle. And so you can kind of spin the pen around and you can see everywhere you need to see. Um, And the way that I do it, at least with this one, again, not to be overcomplicated is you use a 70 degree scope. So instead of a 30 degree angle, it's a 70 degree angle. It's just easier to see kind of around the corner. And what I do is the way that I just think it's best, and it's somewhat new. And it's not that I designed this myself, but I took two existing products and used it in a way that no one's ever used it before. Okay. You drill through the clavicle okay, into the coracoid. Okay. And, so you're, and what you do is then you pass up. It's like a button fixation. And so one of these buttons goes underneath the coracoid. And then the other button goes on top of the clavicle and there's suture in between them. And what you do is you kind of, you reduce it. You can use an x-ray in the OR, OR. You can use it by feel. And you reduce it until it's anatomic and then you tighten it. Interesting. And so it's arthroscopic, but it's a little bit open because you have to make an incision on the top of the shoulder where you put the to button go on through top. through the clavicle. Well, to, to drill and put the button on top. Interesting. Now, it depends on if it's c- acute or chronic. Because then if you go, if it's chronic, which, you know, people usually say maybe around four weeks, becomes chronic, it depends on, you know, different people have different parameters on when they are considered a chronic injury is again, this is a very challenging because everything it's easier to fix a broken bone. Sure. But the problem with this is all the muscles want to pull the clavicle up. Sure. And all the other muscles want to pull the shoulder down. So you have the forces that are pulling everything apart. Yep. Um and so that's why there's a lot of different ways to do this because a lot there's a lot of failure. Sure. And so if it's chronic, what you can do is you can pass a graft, which is usually some some tissue and what you do is it's usually a hamstring but you pass it around your repair so it's almost like belt and suspenders you get
0: uh, interesting so, so you
1: still do that arthroscopically
0: though Got you would do that after the fact or you would do it all at once right so you do you it, do it all once, all at once. So you pass okay. the
1: button and then after you pass the button you have to pass the graft and usually what you do is you pass everything and then you tie everything you know the, the graft part is a little bit challenging but
0: sure that's that's that, i mean that makes sense it's it, it's a unique li- in my opinion it's a unique ligament i guess because it's there is some motion that comes from that joint right like but it's hard though i remember it's it's not easy i would imagine
1: one of the first ones i did in practice i remember the kid didn't seem to want to do it it seemed like his dad wanted him to do it yeah the kid wasn't i mean he could make his own decisions but yeah i think he was 19 years old because he worked um he wasn't in school and i told him i was like i don't know if it's a good idea like again i tell people look They'll scar in, and if it scars in, you'll be fine for right. most of them. You might it might look funny, but if it scars in, you'll be perfectly fine for the vast majority of things you do. Anyway, the dad, because I think, sort of pushed him into doing so, the kid signed up for surgery. He came in his first post op visit without a sling. Um, I was like, dude, what are you doing? And He was like, what? I go, it's gonna fail. I told you, if you don't wear the sling, it's gonna fail. Um, he reluctantly sort of wore the sling, not really wearing the sling. He came back in at six weeks out. I go, look, I go, still not without a sling. I go, it's already started to fail. Um, he's like, well, what do he's like? I go, what are you doing he's like, whatever I want. I go, well, you might. He's like, what do you think I should do? I go, you might as well just do whatever you want. Now I said, it's, I guess, it's already. And you know, by three months, it's completely failed. And I go, well, look, now you got a scar, and it looks funny.
0: It's so tough for you, man, because uh, that—that's that, uh, some would see that as like, oh, that's a you know, he's ruining my work. And, you know, <laughs> and- it's hard. But I was, I guess,
1: I, in hindsight, it was ruining my career. I should have maybe had better foresight to be like, look, dude, like you either do the surgery and you follow the directions, or don't do it. Like why? Like I should have been like, pull them aside. and been like, look. If you don't do it for your dad, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Right.
0: If you're not going to be compliant, don't waste your time or my time. Yeah. Because again, now it looks funny and you had it and you got a big old scar. Interesting. Yeah. So I I had a grade three separation. Uh, We've seen it. We see it in the clinic all the time. And um, it's interesting in that, you know, essentially this ligament, like the, the clavicle, more often than not, like you said, it elevates at a sense. And so you have to – you would like to. You would think you got to approximate these two, right? It's almost like anyone who's had an ankle sprain, everyone – almost everyone – rolls their ankle you have two bones you know you know this outside of the ankle and that ligament when you roll it you get the big softball and then you get the bruising well that ligament's only going to heal if you don't continue to have your ankle turned in all the time right like it needs to be stabilized in an air cast and you know walking fast or running or jumping is going to irritate that ligament so you need those two bones to stay close to each other so it can heal as much as possible right the reality is is that's a static stabilizer that really isn't Gonna, the, like it's not going to fix itself right completely. And,
1: and again the ligament is never going to look normal you kind of you right. want it to scar. i mean the
0: bottom line, i tell i said look i'm not I'm, I'm putting it back so it can scar in the appropriate p- position and so bracing for something like that if it was an athlete of some kind i'm sure this happens in the nfl all the time typically it's a downward force on the shoulder so that usually what causes, happens i always
1: tell you it's, it's usually hockey or, or football tackle yeah. so what you do is you land on the side of the shoulder and yep. like your shoulder your chromium gets pushed down yeah and it's the force of Pushing the shoulder down and everything stays, that's what tears everything.
0: Right. right. Okay. Interesting. Um, and bracing for that same
1: type of thing, would you use the same labrum brace for that? Yeah, the most AC everyone joined? gets it. You get a you get a pillow with you get a sling with a pillow underneath. And you see, you know, most people if you watch a you know on the sidelines, you're gonna see some guy with a sling with a little pillow underneath. That's usually what it is.
0: Gotcha. And so, what is the most likely way a uh, instability injury occurs? Right, we talked about the downward first on the acromion. So if you're gonna talk about like, like a an true shoulder dislocation, it's, it's usually like the the
1: at risk position is the arm. It's almost like a throwing position. You have your your humerus or your your you know your, the top of the bone is parallel to the ground with your, it's like, if you imagine throwing a ball and that's kind of the at risk position. So I always tell people, it's like whether you're going up for a rebound, whether you're throwing a ball, whether you're trying to catch a ball, like that's where the shoulder is going to pop out.
0: I think there's a a Drew Brees YouTube video out there somewhere. James Andrews has probably played it a million times, but uh, if anyone wants to see it, uh, and, and Baker Mayfield obviously went through it in same position. He was reaching for the ball that he had fumbled. He was inverted. He was upside down, reaching for the ball in that you know yep. externally rotated or throwing position. I'm curious about your take on mechanics. You know, like you had told me earlier. You mentioned earlier, like rotator cuff. Man, I don't really do a ton unless they're over a certain age. Like so in sports injuries, you don't do a ton of rotator cuff. There are not. And again, not, you know, typical rotator cuffs without again going being
1: you know boring people to sleep is that there's a natural I tell people look there's two types of rotator cuff tears there's your I call it the gray hairs and wrinkles of the shoulder so if you get old enough you're gonna have a cuff tear so I would say it goes up by decades so pretty much by the time you're getting your 50s to 60s you've got about a 50 to 60 percent chance you have some element of a cuff tear you just don't see it so usually like in your 30s 40s it's it's slim to none so you have your gray hairs and wrinkles, your atraumatic cuff tears, and then you have your, your traumatic cuff tears. You know? But it's usually, for me, it's like you know, someone slips on the ice or someone uh, falls down the steps. Yeah, I saw a woman today who, who, who I think has a cuff tear. She went to fall down the steps, grabbed the banister, and had her kind of pull her shoulder. You just Again, but you, most of the cuff tears that I'm seeing are 40s, 50s.
0: How often, and again, I don't have a ton of experience with this, but like overhead athletes, like a, like a thrower, With a with a cuff injury, usually I would imagine like super spinatus, right? Like something. So what? Here's what I'll tell you.
1: Cuff repairs, and and I don't think I'm saying anything that's violating HIPAA, but I will tell you when I was in my fellowship, there was at least I'll give the sport. It was a he is a current Hall of Fame hockey player. Yeah, was in clinic. It was the one I don't really get too much. Kind of like, oh my God! I will tell you at this point in time, I was like. Oh, my God, this, look, is, a, this is. is this is amazing, because uh, I remember my mentor, he was like, I was sitting in the – he's like – I was like, oh, I'll just stay in the hallway. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're my fellow. You come in the room with me. I was like, okay, I'll come, with, I'll come in the room. <laughs> um, and uh, and so – And you, you're a hockey guy. So and I'm a hockey is, guy, so this uh, is, this is pretty awesome. Sure. And so the guy – again, I don't think I'm giving away anything, but he, he my mentor always has – Every guy takes a shirt off. That was how he did the exam, and, and he had a tattoo of when he won the Stanley Cup. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> um, but he he had he had a, he had a cuff tear, um, and what he told him, he's like, he said, and there he was there for a sec, another opinion on what he should do with his cuff. He said, finish your career, then have surgery. No professional athletes ever come back from a cuff repair. Interesting. So since that, I don't, I, again, I don't know what Kobe Bryant had done. I know Kobe Bryant had some rotator cuff procedure. Mm-hmm. He's the only professional athlete I know of that's ever had a cuff procedure and come back. Now I'm not saying that other guys haven't. I just obviously I don't know every professional athlete what shoulder surgery they have. You know, right. I mean, if you're talking hockey, you never even know. They're talking upper or lower body injury. Yeah, and I mean, last I mean, time, they're lying anyway. <laughs> um, Football <laughs> is the only true. one where they sort of go into it. So yeah. I want. I think there was someone for the Eagles that had maybe had a cuff repair. Might have been. But I, I, honestly, unfortunately rotator cuff is a hard surgery to come back from sure and so you know for an athlete it, it can be definitely
0: career-ending more than any sort of tommy john yeah it's it's a, i've seen um i've seen a, a handful of them in people 50s or 40s 50s that uh like crossfit i see you know one way or another and then they'll do great like they their rehab is like unbelievable it's like I, i'd see him two years later you know what I mean? It's like, oh, what, the, what did you do now? So I was like, I was doing whatever I was doing. It's funny <laughs> you say that because I, I, I have a woman right now. exercise or something.
1: I have a woman right now who she is a competitive lifter. Um, I know there's different classifications, and I don't know them well enough, but she is jacked, and she makes me look like I've never worked out in my life. <laughs> so she was this is exactly what you just said. She was doing a snatch yep. and dislocated her shoulder. Uh, and I was yeah. like, so we got an arthrogram. I was like, you know, she fell and she was – again, extremely competitive. She, she's international competitions. And so I treated her more, I treated her like a professional athlete, not like kind of your weekend warrior. Um, and so it was one of those where I was like, all right, I don't remember even we did therapy or she's like, you know, I need, to, I need to be like normal. I'd lift heavy weights. I'd get back. And I was like, all right. So we got an arthrogram, labral tear. Didn't, again, this is the other thing I tell people all the time. I was like, MRIs are, are good. They're not great. They're not a People think it, but an M, it's an MRI. I said, you, Yeah. You go in and you may find some things you 100%. You I mean, sure. MRIs can be wrong. I mean, up to, you know, probably 10, 20% of the time. And so I went inside the shoulder. She was, she was 41, 42. She mm-hmm. was probably going to be my oldest instability procedure. I usually, you just don't usually do it on someone that age. Right. But I was like, All right, you know, she's different. She's not your average person. So I went in to fix her labrum and I got in there and I was like, The labrum didn't look bad. Her cuff was hanging on by a thread. Like, it was literally, it was pretty much a complete tear as far as I was concerned. And I was like, you know, I'm not doing the labrum. The labrum's not her issue. She's never going to be able to power lift again with her cuff like that. And so I sort of sidetracked. I fixed her cuff. She made a full recovery. She won, like, her next, like, international world competition. And I was like, that's kind of awesome.
0: Yeah, right. Can I get get that plaque in my office?
1: (laughs) It's funny you say that. She literally was doing awesome. She, i just saw her back so i fixed her cuff like four years ago she came back a month ago and she was like i was doing some cleaning jerks and i did something i tweaked something and i've been doing the cuff exercises that i did that i learned in therapy after for my recovery and it's just not better so i'm actually uh, she's getting an mri i'm waiting yeah. to see her back and see what it shows but i'm a little nervous
0: i mean it's, and i would say okay what about that snatch didn't like what happened and during that snatch, right? You how many times have you done a snatch? What happened that time? I mean, all, to pe- find a dynamic stabilizer that wasn't the integrity was I, yeah. affected. I and mean, also tell people, I'm
1: like, look, I don't know if you've ever done those kind of exercises. I, I hate doing the Olympic lifts. We had of to course. do it in college, and I was like, look, it, it's all form. Oh yeah, it has zero to do with how strong oh, you yeah. are. I mean, again, there's, a, I guess that's a part. But if sure. your form isn't perfect, you're gonna you're gonna hurt yourself. Without and that. so it's like one of those things when I used to do them for. 'Cause we had to keep our little log books for lifting and I was like, if I wasn't feeling it, I'm not I'm just not even doing it.
0: It's not worth it. It's not worth it. With without a doubt. I saw it all the time.
1: But it's also even then again, it's it's one of those slides I have a I have a, an elbow instability talk that I give. And it, it I usually I'll, I'll alter the picture, but it's usually all the same person. It is an Olympic athlete who dislocates their elbow yep. doing a snatch. Mm. Because it's going and these guys are obviously the best of the best. And yep. they still have serious injuries. But you know, when you're lifting that kind of weight, you are off just a hair, and you're in trouble. That's
0: all it takes. Yeah. That's all it takes. And there's so many factors:
1: sleep, a diet. There's you know, 100%. that what could affect. You're going it, for, you know, you're going for two extra pounds, and you usually did, and you know, you just the weight just you lose it a little bit, and you're in trouble.
0: The tenth rep, whatever. You forgot your chalk, so you had to use someone else's chalk. Yeah. Once I graduated
1: college, I was like, I was never doing one me, of those actually, again.
0: Actually, me too. I, I played football in college, and I, you know, like those types of heavy like power cleans. And again, I I get that people that still do it. I. That's good for them. I just can't.
1: My only sickness is I can't stop heavy squatting. I don't know why. No,
0: that, that's like a that's like a pride thing, I think. 100%.
1: Yeah. I want to stop, though. <laughs> I'm definitely down from COVID, but I want to stop because I just want to. Not because, like, COVID made me excited <laughs> to work out for two years.
0: Something about having three or four plates on the bar, and you're like, yeah, I'm getting parallel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I, mean? I do 100 know. I don't know. It's, uh, it's but, a, I, that's, again, not that's to a go back to my thing. wrist, but I've never been able to really bench press since yeah. I broke my wrist. Well, I, I think, I mean, I'm a firm believer of, uh, I think bench press is one of the, I get it's a measure of upper body strength, all that. There's so many better things you could be doing for your upper uh, body yeah. strength than freaking bench press. And, I uh, like, overhead throwers, no reason to bench press. We talked about it in previous podcasts. Like, stay away from bench press. It's not going to help you.
1: As I said, there's, there are two terrible things for shoulders, shoulder press and bench press.
0: Right. Will, and Because, yeah, I mean, for it's so just, many reasons, it, but, it, you know, especially the cuff. I saw a guy today
1: who, who was a cop, and, you know, he did have a work injury. But I told him I said he's like he's got a posterior and a superior labral tear, and I was like I go look. I think the the superior labral tear is probably from the work injury from the mechanism he told me. The posterior labral tear I was probably like. That was probably. I mean, they, he's a bit of pretty jacked
0: dude. I'm like any guy who bench presses probably has a posterior labral tear. Oh yeah, I'm, yeah. It's just the amount of force that goes through that that part of the shoulder. 100%. You know, when you're holding up that kind of weight. Yeah. And and not to mention your how you bring it down, how you bring it up, the amount of pace you use. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's uh no, you're right. That makes perfect sense. Uh, what am I missing? What else do you want to dive into? I know we've been. I'm whatever bit, you want, man. <laughs> um, I'm, try, I'm trying to think.
1: I, I will. I. I mean, I, I guess we already talked about it, but I mean, I before the podcast was you know people get a little bit intimidated about seeing a doctor. And I get, I, I can't sit here and tell you that everyone's the same. So, you know, there are different groups have different philosophies. Uh, I can only speak about me personally in our group is yes, I am a surgeon and yes, but my job is to get the person back. And so I would say, look, look, I, I, I don't have a non-operative person. So you come, you, I'm the only person there. And, and, and again, people are like, if I think you need surgery, I'll tell you need surgery. But there's very few things where I'm going to say you need to have this fixed. And it's usually not a sports issue. It's usually my, my massive cuff person um, who I say your best chance of doing well is to have it done acutely rather than rehab. You know, I guess this is applicable for my weekend warrior is if you tear your cuff, like let's say you play football with your buddies and you dislocate your shoulder. So usually shoulder dislocations, teenagers, 20-year-olds, you tear your labrum. I tell the, the the fellows, you're 40 and over, you dislocate your shoulder, you have a cuff tear till proven otherwise. So if you're 40 and you just so if I'm 43, if I dislocate my shoulder, I'm getting an MRI because I have a cuff tear till someone else tells me I'm not because I'm not, the cuff is the weak link, not the labrum. And so those, uh, I, I say, an acute cuff tear, fix it. And fix it immediately because that's your best chance of doing well. well what, ha- what happens if you don't fix it immediately? The problem is, again, if, if you look at, if you're going to say what's the bane of existence for a shoulder surgeon is rotator cuff repair, because I'm much, you're better off breaking the bone that heals more predictably than your cuff. The biggest complication is a cuff tear is it doesn't heal. Now studies show that they don't all have to heal for patients to do well, but that's the biggest problem. And we know that the best chance of you having a, a successful surgery is to have it done. It doesn't have to be like tomorrow, but usually within the first, you know, six to 12 weeks.
0: So at the surfaces of the tear, uh, and I know I'm going back into tears again, but at the surface of the tears, the approximation of the tissue, how challenging is that? Right. Like, let's be honest, like if it's not getting adequate blood flow and it's not completely connected, right, like it, like it turns to like adipose tissue or fat. Yeah. Right. And Or it can retract if it's a complete tear. Yeah. So so how does that make your job difficult? I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> so the, the ones that I hate the most are the small tears
1: because it's very, it's hard to see, and it's hard to kind of get them perfect. You know, it, we often talk about, like, it's interesting how your body is, because you have this sort of the cuff tear, it's, or the cuff is not straight across where it attaches. It has this kind of curve shape to it. So when it tears and you try to repair it, it's very challenging if you haven't tried to, try to sew, like, a curve and get it to be flush. It's very challenging not to have sort of dog ears, as we call it. Right. Um, so honestly, these small tears are hard. The, honestly, the easier ones are these massive tears. Because I can kind of put it down wherever it fits the best I can see easily it's the small ones that's kind of hard to see, so it's much easier to do a massive tear than a small tear in my opinion
0: gotcha i, I would think I've heard you know surgeons say it's like sewing two two pieces of tissue paper back together like it's just it not, all depend. not, again, it depends. again it depends on the person but right. if you do it acute
1: like yeah, the the reason is soft tissue to bone is just it's hard to get things to heal you i mean and people say it hurts. And, and honestly, the reason it hurts is because what you do is you take a burr um, and you're taking it to the bone and you're decorticating and you're taking off the top few layers of bone. Right. right. Because, and so I'm really, I'm fracturing your bone. Right. Because I want it to bleed because you want it to heal. Heal, yeah. And so people are like, God, this hurts. I'm like, yeah, yes. Because I, I mean, reality, I mean, you're breaking the arm to get it to heal.
0: Right. That sounds pretty brutal. So but. <laughs> and it hurts.
1: So, yeah. but that's the, so, but that's the, the cuff is, it's kind of to, healing is the issue that's why you want to do them acutely but in terms of you know as we talked about i was like look i try to say like yes i'm a surgeon but my job is again as i I think i mentioned was is to get you to make a a good decision for you so not not everyone needs surgery i mean i have plenty of people who have full cuff tears and i I personally think they should have it fixed but they're like you know what? i can do everything i want i was like all right as long as you know that there probably will become a point in time this cuff isn't fixable you know you do you
0: i'm with you on on the acute cuff tears because i've seen that people who wait and then get it done now have their motor controls completely off because their biomechanics have been off for so long. 100%. So now they're not able to recruit like lower trap or some of these other muscles that are all supposed to help, you know, support the cuff. Yeah. And they just don't, and now they're just so deltoid dominant or so trap dominant and, and so forth. And they just you know they're inhibited from using those muscles because they. have Well, yeah. Formed. Then you got the scapula off, and like the bane of my existence, is Distant is is it you know is any sort of
1: scapular stuff? It's just like that's miserable. It's like scapular dyskinesia. I'm like, yeah, it's like kind of like garbage fail
0: of diagnose. No one wants to deal with scapular. Oh, right. And how much is normal? Like, I there was a podcast the other week I listened to. It was like, is that is it normal to see a baseball player with that? Right. And then you release the lat, like you dig into the lat, and now it moves normal. You're like, oh great, but then they hurt themselves the next week because you just threw their mechanics <laughs> off. Right. That was like. A, they were they got used to it, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, so. it's the whole, like, you know, the GERD and, you know, the rotation deficit. It's like, you know, you, you got these professional athletes who've obviously gotten to where they're at because they've altered their mechanics so they can get this extra rotation. But now we're trying
0: to make sure to get it so it doesn't normal yeah normal and then now they're throwing mechanics all, you know it's, it's hard it's, uh, to identifying the dysfunction right is always yeah. challenging but you got to do your due diligence and from yeah. a pt perspective you got to go through all of it you yeah. know assess all the muscles to see how it moves watch the individual do what they do that hurts right yeah. you know if you can yeah go ahead no that's what i say. but i mean again for like the average person is like you shouldn't be f- i mean again not
1: every doctor is equal but for me, at least my job is to sit here and kind of have a conversation with and, and and what makes sense. And I tell people all the time, I was like, look, come with questions. I'm fine with questions. I write them down. I have zero problem. We'll Love go that. through, we'll do it through question by question because you're going to forget. And then you're going to be, Oh my God, I should ask that. I was like, that's bring your questions. I I mean, any doctor who doesn't want to have time to answer your questions, or I tell people all the time, cause people want to, if they want to echo, if you want to get second, get a second opinion. I mean, if someone is confident, I'm sort of same for, for therapy, if you're, I'm like, I'm confident what I'm telling you. And, and any doctor who says don't get a second opinion is a doctor you should stay away from.
0: That's a great point. We had spoken right before the podcast about how I see patients and they're like, ah, I don't want to see a surgeon because surgery is not an option. You don't know what you're getting into when you see a therapist. Like I have, is going to be manual therapy? Is it going to be exercises? Is it going to be a combination of both? So t- I'm curious. And I think that's kind of the, you know, the case or direction you were going with, with this. I'm curious what uh, your philosophy is. In terms of okay, what's what kind of services can you provide, or or direction you can provide that you know someone who is uh, sports medicine that's not a surgeon, right? Like why what, what's why see you not necessarily not see them, but why, why see you? Why, I mean, why I think it's so a different good option.
1: I mean, I think the difference for me is is I come from both avenues, so my job is I have plenty of patients. I don't operate in every single patient, so I can help them direct them in the non-operative treatment arm. And there's not a knock on the sports guys, but as a surgeon you just have a you just have a better knowledge of what's going on anatomically because again not to knock my my sports colleagues but most sports colleagues aren't doing 5 years of orthopedics and then a fellowship and then training most sports doctors are actually doing some sort of general medicine and they're doing a 1 year sports fellowship and that's their orthopedic training is a 1 year fellowship so i'm not saying that they can't get there eventually but most of them, it takes a lot longer. And yeah. so for me, I, I did five years of orthopedics. And I just, I just have a, a broader depth, a, a deeper knowledge of, of what's going on. And then as a surgeon, I know what's going on anatomically from a surgical standpoint. So I can kind of speak to both arms. Yeah. Because the problem with the non-op guys is, you know, if you fail non-op, we're like, okay, we'll see the surgeon. And a lot of people don't want to see the surgeon day one and be like, hi, my name's Bob. And you're like, yeah, you need surgery. Here's the consent. See you later it just yeah. it, you don't have a relationship so i think more people mm-hmm. are more comfortable with someone they've developed a relationship with
0: yeah and I, I think in the end what i've learned in in my experience is that depending on who it is and it, everyone's their own person your job is to guide their recovery 100% right so if it's you know and who's best at doing that i, I don't know if there is a right answer to it everyone's I'd different and some people are perfectly but, fine with yeah. saying, seeing the surgeon the day one and i'm not saying there's wrong but I
1: mean, some people it they've worked for them great
0: yeah, I think guiding and facilitating someone's recovery, whether it's through the tools that you have in your toolbox or sports med that they have in their toolbox, in the end, you got to work with somebody who has your best interests in mind, who knows how to, what you have to do to get back to yeah. doing what you love to do and playing sports or whatever it may be.
1: I got a question for you. Just shoot. All right, this is something I've always wondered. It's like the bane of my existence. let What is the point of the arm bike? Oh, I think I it's the worst see, thing ever. Do you ever. see one in here? I don't know. I didn't see one. I was no, trying to I, look I without.
0: I'm. I, I don't not, understand an, it. I don't, I don't get it. I, so I'm. Uh, <laughs> I hope I don't. My colleagues may, not, may hate me for this. I'm anti-machine. Like I don't. I don't like machines. I think people can get hurt on machines. The upper arm bike. I was up other time. Was like, yeah, I, I go. I don't have nope, a good reason why it's in the clinic. I was like, like no clinics, point in your life
1: do you ever run with your arm? So why of a sudden were you going to take some? Usually, middle-aged person who had some sort of maybe or may not have surgery, and you know, like, let's put him on an arm bike. Oh, wait well,
0: here's the worst part. Where is the seat relative to where the pedals are? So, Isabel, I don't know if you have ever seen one of these, but essentially, it is a bike where you do like it's not. I just don't get it. And may, so, I'm putting you in an impingement position. <laughs> I'm probably going to put you on this because it's for your upper extremities. Because you're here for your upper extremities. So, let me just do you a favor and put you on a bike that's going to irritate everything in your shoulder right like it's just i yeah, like if you want to get warm up.
1: yeah if you want to get warmed up like stretch like you don't have to go on like a like, you know be like a mouse on a hamster wheel <laughs> oh my god i just never so understood funny. i literally every time like i see a patient i'm like how's therapy and yeah, on my end therapy is challenging i'm seriously you know, on your oh, end please like, open be, up about it well because it half out. the time <laughs> people are like oh i don't want to go to therapy i'm like You know, you just dropped a thousand dollars on your new phone, but you won't spend a thousand dollars on your body. I mean, it's just like it's. I just I don't get it. I get I understand things are expensive, and but your body's the most important thing you have. I just don't understand why people won't do therapy
0: because one bad experience, and I usually that's that that's part of it. The other reason is 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 because how I say this. uh, (laughs) I don't I don't want to offend anyone, but essentially what happens is is people want to know what they're getting for their dollar, right? So it, I know when I buy this phone for a $1,000, I know what I'm getting in my phone. When you're I also
1: have the, th- the instant gratification of with therapy, I'm like, all right, I go there for, for six weeks. I'm like, yeah.
0: Correct, right. And it's a process, right? You're investing in a process. You don't know what the outcome of the process is going to be. It may cost you a lot of money, co-pays, $80, $90 sometimes. You're deductible. You may have to pay towards that. It could be very expensive. You don't know what you're getting out of it. Unless you've had a really good experience and you have someone you trust, you go back to them. I think that's probably more likely the case. Yeah, I mean, the, the ones but
1: that I find are usually they don't like, and again, there's different philosophies and I'm sure you guys have different philosophies, sure. but they don't like, well, I go there and they show me some stuff to do. I sit in the corner and do it by myself. I can do it by my at home by myself.
0: And and to me, that comes down to value. Like the PT should be asking that individual, what do you value most? Right. I've had patients come and be like, listen, we got to like do as much manual therapy? I'm like, I want to go work out, yeah. dude. But I tell <laughs> people all the time, <laughs> I <tell people laughs> the time
1: I go, look, I have a home program I can give you,
0: but- go
1: see the therapist at least once right. to make sure cuz i'm not going to i don't have the time to go through each exercise of course not. Make, go see the therapist that is their job and they will teach you through take you through each even if you go once pay the 40 dollar copay i had a woman today she's like you know what that's great i'm going to go once she i go yeah learn the program and then do it on your own
0: I, and t- when someone calls in and say yeah my doc said i can come once and and i feel like some some pt's are going to pull their hair out listening to what i'm about to say and he say, oh, i'm only going to come once and you know my doc said i could do that and and they'll like, ah, no, it's probably going to be more than that, but you should come in anyway. They're not going to come in. Get them to come in. Sh- ask them what they want. What is it? What, what well, value can you provide if it's one visit? And maybe the, I've had patients that said, you know, like, you loosened me up more than I thought you could, like – can I keep coming? Well, or, that's what I was getting at because you know, I
1: usually I say that because it gets them in the door. Right. And usually most Huge. patients, I was like, Oh, did you do the home program? I'm like, well, I went that one time and it was much better than I thought. And then I end up going because that's usually what happens is right. they go once and then once turns into like, well, because then I'll say, Well, go once a week maybe, and they can at least make sure you're progressing. And then it becomes, Well, okay, well, I went twice a week. Or,
0: yeah. Whatever they value, and again, you you offer education if you come in twice a week, you're going to get there sooner than if you come in once a week or three times a week, whatever it may be. But you know, it's not about, I've seen people in corporate different companies push numbers and numbers and agenda. And I'm sure you you know, you know what it's like, but in in the end, being a good person, a people person and giving them their options, that's what people want. They don't want a million options. They want a couple options. Yeah.
1: But then usually the patient will come in and if they don't, if I don't feel feel of progressing, or they're like, ah, I don't, they don't like the therapist. I'm like, well, what are you doing in therapy? Or, and if, if when they mentioned, I was like, well, you know, do the arm bike. I'm like, all right. <sighs> I was like, so I was like, well, either a, don't go to that therapist, or b, I'll write in the new script. Was like, no arm bike. Yeah.
0: <laughs> just, I'll make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm anti arm bike. I've never. I just yeah, don't it. get. Again, I'm not being a therapist. It's one of the things I just don't know. I don't get. Uh, yeah, it, but it, here's the thing, though. It is like protocol in any new clinic. You will see. You know, oh, I see at, it everywhere. Yeah, I mean, they're they're like. It's like a staple of the clinic, like a yeah. treatment table. If there's going to be a treatment table, you're going to see an arm bike and a treadmill. It's it's in and in a recumbent bike. I hate recumbent bikes. That's like a leg press bike. Like yeah. you you leg press, it's something. But, but I get a
1: treadmill because everyone walks on their legs. Correct. No
0: one walks on their arms. Right, yeah, I'm just like anti-traditional PT stuff. Yeah, you won't see a leg <laughs> press or leg extension or leg curls or, <laughs> you know, pec stuff. You go to Planet Fitness and do that stuff. Yeah. and I'm not here. I hear you. <laughs> I had asked. <laughs> Sorry, you got me going though. Oh, I know. Listen, Planet fitness is great. And if you want to do that, that's fine. To me that I don't know a therapeutic and arm bites. As long is. as you're not yelling or whatever that tagline was. No, no grunting, no, no yeah. lunk alarm. <laughs> no lunk, lunk. That's what it was. I wasn't say hunk. It's not a hunk. I say I say all the time, there's no lunk alarm in here. Go ahead, you grunt all, You do all your thing. Yeah. Um, is that everything? Anything you else you want to want to go over? I think it's so, all off the top of my head. This is uh, this has been awesome. I'm yeah, like, man, happy a good we time. did this. All right, cool. Well, uh, until next time. Absolutely. All right, cool. Thanks for joining us. Doc. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It would mean so much to me if you could leave us a five star review. So more listeners like you could get this important information. See you next time.